Hello and welcome to episode two of Houston, We Have a Problem. So today's episode is going to be a little shift in gears for everything that you're used to me talking about. Uh, I kind of made a name for myself explaining like market shenanigans and talking about GameStop and AMC. But today we're going to explore the healthcare system. And what we're going to do is we're going to sort of illustrate the problem that is the American healthcare system and set about how to fix it and what magical things that will do for not only just the United States, but the world as a whole. Uh, I know some of you who uh, watch and listen to me are not here in the United States, but uh, come from elsewhere in Europe. So kind of think of the United States healthcare system as a warning of what not to do. And perhaps uh, in the United Kingdom, say, where they're trying to desperately try to privatize your healthcare system. Uh, that's the terrible thing to do. So my deep dive into American healthcare pretty much began when I was uh, 18 years old and I had just left home. I'd moved to San Diego to begin college. And a week before classes started, I was hit by a car and left for dead on the side of the road. I was bicycling back from the grocery store and uh, whoever hit me just took off and severely concussed. Um, I don't really have much memory of the day at all. I uh, uh, wandered home and passed out in front of the porch of my house, covered in blood, and I had stolen a whole bunch of beach towels along the way uh, to clear my face and everything else. When a friend found me hours later, so not only was I concussed by then, but I suffered from heat stroke and dehydration and everything else. So the ambulance took my little lifeless body to the hospital and treated me and stitched up my chin and, you know, kept me for a day or two. And uh, then stuck me with a $40,000 medical bill. Despite the fact that I had Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance, uh, the ambulance took my unconscious body to what was called a non-preferred provider. And the insurance company refused to cover any of the medical expenses. Now, being 18, losing a baseball scholarship due to an injury as a result of getting hit by a car, and then being stuck with $40,000 in medical bills with no job and no skills. It's kind of a shit way to start your adulthood. Uh, my tale is not something that is unique. Uh, this is something that happens to every single American. I mean, you will not be able to find anybody in the United States of America who is honestly happy with their health care. It doesn't exist. Um, we all hate our health insurance. It's too expensive. It nickels and dimes us. It refuses coverage. Uh, and it leads to, frankly, bankruptcies for so many people. There are, what, 800,000 bankruptcies in the United States each year, and 70% of those are due to health care bills. So episode number two of Houston, We Have a Problem, is murder the private health insurance companies kill them okay so you want to solve a lot of problems in the united states of america universal health care will do it you want to solve homelessness universal health care you want to solve drug addiction universal health care you want to eliminate two-thirds of bankruptcies universal health care you want to increase personal savings universal health care you want to increase consumer buying universal health care you want to Reduce corporate expenses and increase profit, universal health care. You want to increase economic, economic mobility, universal health care. 
You want to improve rural access to healthcare? Yeah, universal healthcare. You want to increase school budgets and increase wages for teachers? Universal healthcare. You want to significantly reduce police budgets and costs to incarcerate people? Universal healthcare. Whoa. All right, so my tale is going to begin with basically homelessness. Uh, homelessness in the United States is at epidemic levels. This is These are at levels that haven't been seen since the Great Depression. And a large part of that, uh, the blame gets laid on President Ronald Reagan. And, uh, you know, uh, they're right, <laughs> frankly. Um, a year and a half ago, I had to take a business trip to London. And I was there for a whopping 40 hours. And basically, I had a, a dinner meeting. And then I had the whole next day to walk as much of London as I could with a lunch meeting in between. And then fly my ass back to Seattle. I walked, what, 35 miles around London in one day, and I saw three homeless people. I get off the ferry in Seattle, I see probably 50 to 100 in just my line of sight. Uh, it was mind-boggling. London's a city that's 20 times the size of Seattle, and they have the exact same homeless population overall as, a, as the city of Seattle. If London had the homeless problem the city of Seattle did, they would have as many homeless as people that live in Spokane, Washington. That's a crazy number to think about. Uh, currently, there's 12,000 homeless people in Seattle, and over half of them have mental issues. So to begin our journey into uh, sort of the ills behind the American healthcare system, I want to talk about mental health to begin with. So starting in the 1830s, uh, the Worcester State Hospital in Massachusetts was the first taxpayer-funded mental health institution. And it worked so well, it began to cash on, catch on in other municipalities and states around the Union. And by the beginning of the Civil War, 28 of 33 states had state psychiatric hospitals. In the 1950s, uh, chlorprazamine, or Thorazine as the, the consumer version went, uh, was introduced. And society imagined a future where... Mentally ill can be treated and re-enter society for the first time. Before, it was just kind of lock them away because you know what to do with them. In 1955, uh, the USA, then a population of about 166 million, had 560,000 people housed in mental institutions, about a third of a percent of the population as a whole. In 1963, Kennedy signed the Community Mental Health Act to, uh, to push responsibility of the mentally ill from individual patients to the federal government. Uh, the intent was to create this vast network of community mental health centers where the mentally ill could live in their communities while receiving care, rather than being shipped off to faraway institutions. Less than a month later, Kennedy was assassinated, and decades after that, less than half of the promised centers had been built, and funding was basically was never uh, uh, stable. 1965 was the establishment of Medicare and Medicaid, uh, which makes the mentally ill eligible for benefits, but ironically excluded mental health hospitals. Uh, so they get treatment so long as it wasn't for mental health. Thus, it created this environment that pushed uh, states to discharge the mentally ill to shift the cost burden to the federal government. So previously, there have been these vast networks of state hospitals. In whatever state you're in, you probably know of abandoned mental health hospitals that people go and like ghost town through. There's several in Washington. Um, in 1959, 
California, the state of California had 37,000 mental health patients. Uh, by the time Reagan became governor in 1967, this was down to 22,000, on a large part uh, by those discharges due to Medicare and Medicaid. And Reagan used this as an excuse to cut over 2,600 mental health care jobs, 10% of the budget for mental health hospitals, and signed the Lanterman-Petrus Short Act, which ended the practice of institutionalizing the mentally insane against their will. Uh, almost immediately, the number of mentally ill in state prisons doubled. Uh, by 1973, there's only 7,000 uh, mental patients left in state hospitals. In 1980, Jimmy Carter signed the Mental Health Systems Act to finally realize Kennedy's dream. But in 1981, uh, Reagan, when he became president, repealed that act and pushed the responsibility of the mental ill back on the states and cut all federal funding for such services. So by 2004, over 10% of the prison population uh, had severe mental psychotic disorders. And by 2015, 55% of the homeless had psychotic disorders. Over half of the 1.5 million people in the United States are suffering psychotic disorders. And they have no access to health care because they don't have jobs. And if you don't have jobs, you don't have insurance. If you don't have insurance, you don't get treatment. Uh, universal health care would force to create hundreds of thousands of beds for these new psychiatric institutions. Boom. Half the homeless problem is solved right there. If you get these people treatment, you don't have them on the street anymore. Uh, and the rest of the homeless population falls into treatable categories as well. You've got those with addiction. You've got those with unresolved trauma, such as uh, victims of abuse and sexual assault or, or veterans. Um, you've got the dehoused LGBTQ youth. And you've got tons of people who are homeless because of, well, health care bills. They're bankrupted. So as far as drugs and alcoholism are, are concerned, um, you can't get treatment for addiction if you don't have insurance. If you have an addiction, you most likely don't have a job. Much of these addictions can be treated by a change of environment. So uh, just removing somebody from the heinous, heinous place they're in in life can result in the change of the physiological addiction to some substances. Uh, there were lots of reports in the 70s about uh, USGIs who were heroin addicts in Vietnam. And when they came back to the United States and were no longer in the war, they didn't use heroin anymore. There was no treatment involved. It was just that they weren't in the hell of war. So they didn't feel the need to numb themselves to it. So we must not only treat addiction and mental health with these new public, publicly funded centers, but we also have to provide homes for them. Uh, the only way to cure homelessness is with homes. You know, putting people into shelters doesn't cure cure homelessness. It doesn't give people, you know, access to the sanitary needs they need, the, uh, the privacy. Uh, doesn't secure their goods from loss or theft. Uh, it doesn't make them vulnerable to uh, uh, hoodlums and criminals and life on the streets. Playing on just the empathy you may have to try and stop homelessness as an argument for universal health care doesn't explain the entire story. For the rest of you, it may have to uh, appeal to your pocketbook. So we have to follow the money in this respect. Um, local budgets and community dollars are often thrown away as they're spent towards battling homelessness. There's a need for a strong top-down policy uh, that's funded and run by the federal government and, and the creation of institutions that can then treat the root causes of homelessness. The city of Seattle 
spends $150 million a year on the homeless. Half of their $400 million police budget goes to arrests, incarceration, and convictions of homeless people. And $900 million is spent by local charities on the homeless. So what that results in is the city of Seattle essentially spends $108,000 on each and every one of Seattle's 12,000 homeless people. Can you imagine if they just gave $108,000 to these 12,000 homeless people, how much more successful that would be than the charities we have that, you know, have half filled or overfilled, uh, 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 shelters and you know, food banks and food drives. What they need is, is resources for the individual. So the individual can go out and do things just keeping them trapped in, in this cycle of homelessness without ever actually providing them a home is asinine. Uh, as a society, we can treat and house every homeless person via universal health care for one third the cost that we spend today while failing at it. In Hawaii, uh, they've presented a bill and some doctors have even begun prescribing homes to the homeless because their medical bills every year due to staph infections, uh, 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 wounds, uh, exposure to the elements can come to $120,000 a year per person. And for $18,000 a year, they can get somebody a home. You know, if you're suffering from staph infections from living on the street, maybe the best solution is to have a bathroom and a shower, right? So we can cut down healthcare costs monumentally just by housing the homeless. Let's look deeper into this, this pocketbook thing. Um, universal healthcare elsewhere in the world is about one third the cost of the shit healthcare we have in the United States. Uh, this means that jobs currently must cover healthcare, uh, that, that currently cover healthcare. Um, they can save probably two thirds of their money immediately, if not more, by supporting a universal system. This means they no longer have to negotiate uh, with unions for um, healthcare policies. They no longer uh, are mandated to sign everyone up for healthcare plans. It's just provided. So come and go. Everyone in the United States, whether they have a job or not, has universal healthcare. In our public schools, uh, 3000 of the $10,000 we spend on each student uh, is for health insurance for school employees. So when you look at global levels of spending per student, the United States is way up here and our performance is way down here. But you remove the aspect that it's health insurance, whoosh, all of a sudden the United States is below everyone else in per student spending. Because so much, 30% of our spending is just for the health insurance of school employees. If we look at a company like Microsoft, there's 163-ish thousand uh, employees and they spend $400 million on health savings accounts for their employees and another $2 billion or more for insurance on those workers. Don't you think a big company like Microsoft would love to... Oh, my glasses are just bothering me. Don't you think a big company like Microsoft would love to save $2 billion, $3 billion a year by not having to pay for health insurance for their workers? Don't you think Microsoft shareholders would love the extra two to $3 billion a year in dividends? Don't you think the employees would love bonuses, cash bonuses that would uh, be paid out to them because it wasn't being spent on, on useless health insurance anymore? 
I think that there's an argument to be made for large companies, uh, General Electric, General Motors, Walmart, Amazon, uh, you name it. These companies often have to provide health insurance at incredible costs that are poorly negotiated because even big companies can't quite get large enough pool to have discounts with these health insurance companies, for-profit health insurance companies. And if they didn't have to do that anymore, if it was just covered by the federal government in a universal system, they would have billions and billions and, well, frankly, overall trillions in profit every single solitary year. So I spoke briefly about uh, the United Kingdom, Britain, uh, at the beginning of this. Um, the national healthcare system spends about $4,200 per patient per year. The United States spends $11,000 per patient per year. And 20% of the population isn't even covered. They have like no access whatsoever to healthcare unless their unconscious bodies are taken to an emergency room. We have to spend, you get, something happens, an ambulance is called, there's three grand. You don't have that in other nations. Like the ambulance companies are not private. They're, they're owned by the communities. And if you need an ambulance, you get an ambulance, you take it to the hospital. The United States, we've got stories of people who refuse ambulance service and then call an Uber because they know that they don't have the insurance that will cover the thousands of dollars it will take to get them to the hospital. And, you know, people die because of it. They're having heart attacks and the Uber driver's not trained in maintaining uh, one's cardiovascular system while having a heart attack. They're just driving people to where their little app tells them to go. So if the United States adopted an NHS style system, it would cost U.S. taxpayers about $1.4 trillion a year, which is uh, a lot of savings over the $3.6 trillion that we spend now. On our current healthcare system, about one seventh of our economy is healthcare. So, guess what? Medicare and Medicaid taxes are about one point four trillion a year now. So, if we adopted an NHS-style universal healthcare system, your taxes wouldn't go up. Isn't that crazy? So much of our healthcare spending goes to the administration of insurance that if we didn't have insurance, we wouldn't have any of our taxes rise and we would save, get this, we'd save $2.2 trillion a year, which spread over the 150 million workers in the United States comes out to over $15,000 per worker. What? Yeah. So can you imagine what that would mean for the United States if every single solitary company in our country could save $15,000 on each and every worker immediately and at the same time we had 100% coverage of every single person in the United States for health care. There was a, a last year during the primaries there was um, a kerfluffle because some unions wouldn't endorse Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders was pushing for a universal health care system. These unions, their complaint was that they fought really hard for their health insurance and they didn't want anyone else to have that benefit. Well, screw you, man. <laughs> Can you imagine 
the power of the unions, the United States, if they no longer had to negotiate for health insurance because everyone was covered and they could take that ten to $15,000 that was spent on health insurance for each and every employee and turn that into wages for their employees, they would be insanely powerful and their workers would get so much more money and be flowing through the economy because ten to $15,000, that's, that's a couple of vacations a year. That's a new car. If you no longer have to negotiate for insurance ever again, that's cash in your pockets for every single solitary worker in this country. Essentially, it's the amount of a minimum wage worker that every single person is now worth more because health insurance no longer comes out of everyone's pockets. So to do this, we have to change how hospitals also operate. Uh, these hospitals would probably no longer be private hospitals. They would be state-run facilities. Uh, doctors would not, would not be contractors. Um, I don't know if you ever looked at your health uh, uh, bill in the past and you saw something like, you know, facility charges, room rental, all that stuff. That's because the doctor is not an employee of a hospital. They have admitting privileges. And so they have to rent the space that you get your treatment in. And these each doctor has to have their own administrative staff because they've got to pay rent. They've got to pay for malpractice insurance. They have to pay for uh, 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 use of the, of the equipment and facilities. And they pass those costs on to you. And they've got to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours every single week going through that paperwork. They've submitted those bills. Imagine if doctors didn't have to do that. Imagine if doctors just treated you and sent you on your way and then saw the next patient. And that's all the administrative work they had to do beyond filing your, 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 your patient charts. We have a huge problem of rural health care in the United States. Uh, in the past 15 years, 179 rural hospitals have closed and another one in four are at risk of closing in the near future. Uh, it's hard to make a profit in these low density markets. Um, healthcare workers don't want to take a pay cut to work in these rural areas. So you solve that problem by putting all these doctors on salary and it doesn't matter where they work. You can adjust, you know, some of the, some of the pay via inflation and cost of living. But, you know, if you can work in um, Twin Falls, Idaho and make the same living you would make in San Francisco minus cost of living, uh, why wouldn't you do it? Right. Being a doctor is being a doctor is being a doctor. And you no longer have to worry about not being able to pay your bills because you took a job somewhere where it was more rural. So, and you put malpractice insurance on the federal government. So individual doctors, once they're employed, they're covered by the umbrella of the United States federal government and the malpractice insurance is through them. So we cut down costs all across the board. And we have to cut the administrative fat. So currently there's about 800,000 doctors in the United States uh, it's needs to be more. We have a lot of boomers are retiring and we have pretty low statistics about, uh, we have about 2.5 physicians for every 100,000 people, which makes us 58th in the world in the United States. And, uh, the top 10 nations all have at least twice that number of physicians. I think the highest is Russia. I think has eight, uh, doctors per 1000 people. Um, but we also need more med schools as a result and more residencies available. We have to change the way we also do these residencies. Right now, I'm sure you've heard tales of resident doctors working 
you know, 80, 100 hours a week, being exhausted for little pay. Well, that doesn't do anyone any good. If you work that much, you aren't remembering anything. We won't let truckers or airplane pilots work that many hours in a week because it puts lives at risk. Why are we forcing baby doctors, these residents, to work that many hours when they'll make poor decisions and are tired and exhausted? If we halved the number of hours that they work in residencies to 40 hours, like a full-time job, you could have two residents in that job. And that would allow us to have more doctors trained across the United States. We need to open more medical schools. We need to admit more people to become doctors. Uh, okay, so got a little distracted there. Uh, out of the 800,000 physicians in the United States, there's about 300,000 hospital administrators, which is, you know, yeah, 40-ish percent of all the health care workers are our uh, administrators. There's 930,000 people that work in the health insurance companies. So we have to cut around 1.1 million jobs. Yeah, 1.1 million people will lose their work if we adopt a universal health care system. But if the savings are $2.2 trillion in just the first year, that's enough for over 40 million middle-class jobs. $2.2 trillion is $44,050,000 a year jobs. Or pay raises for everyone else, right? So if we're going to adopt this universal healthcare system, uh, there are going to be some big expense, expenses right off the bat. Uh, number one is going to be where we'd have to essentially make all the hospitals owned by the public. Uh, this would either be through probably eminent domain or purchasing their stock on the, on the market. But we also need to build psychiatric hospitals uh, because we need people covered. We need, we, need them, we need them off the streets and getting the treatment they need. So if it's one-third of 1% 1 that uh, need to be treated in, in a mental health institution, that's about one bed for every 300 people. Um, this means every single county in the United States would have their own psychiatric ward. Uh, urban areas would probably have several of them. And the construction costs for that, based on hospital uh, construction, is probably about $500 billion. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but Seattle's share of the psychiatric hospital construction they'd need is about 2.5 years worth of what they currently spend, the $1.1 to $1.3 billion a year, currently spend on their futile battling homelessness. So if we took the money that we currently spend in Seattle and built psychiatric hospitals to treat the homeless, it would only take two and a half years of funding to do it. And we'd have those buildings for decades. Um, another thing we should probably do is we should probably have a psychiatric board uh, uh, that's made up of a rotating group of licensed therapists. So if you are a therapist in the United States, you do counseling, you do psychiatric help, you name it, you would spend a week or two on this board and you would uh, uh, evaluate mental health patients as they're being taken in and as they're being discharged because people who are forced to be wards of the state due to mental illness should be given the chance to enter society after their treatment if they if they found um therapies and drugs that can 
they can manage their, their uh, mental state, why not release them back into the public? How do we make this happen? How do we help the United States by murdering the private healthcare companies and health insurance companies especially and improve our lives as a nation and finally enter the industrialized world? Well, we have to appeal to the pocketbooks of the big corporations. If Microsoft, Amazon, General Electric, General Motors, Fiat Chrysler, Walmart, uh, Cisco Systems, think of every big company you can imagine that has an unruly amount of money. If you can appeal to their pocketbooks and get them on board with immediately having savings and profit by creating a national healthcare system, we need to get them to start lobbying. We do. And we not shouldn't just lobby uh, uh, Democrats. We need to lobby everyone who's in office now. I don't care what party you are. The most important thing we can do as a nation is adopt a national health care policy that's universal and a single-payer system. So anyone who can get this done, grease their friggin' palms. Use that system to get this done and help people for once. And we should probably appeal to the greedy hedge funds. You know, we, we're seeing what uh, happens when hedge funds want to short companies and they work really hard to make sure that their stock goes to zero. Well, why don't we short the shit out of health insurance companies? Let's short their stock. Let's do it collectively as a nation. Let's sell their stock and drive it into the freaking ground. Use those profits to lobby the federal government to make a national healthcare healthcare uh, system that will then make the healthcare companies not exist anymore. And guess what? If they don't exist anymore, we don't have to buy up the stock. This is what they're trying to do to GameStop. So let's do it to the healthcare companies. Let's do some good in this world and murder the health insurance companies by shorting the heck out of their stock and using that money to lobby the federal government to make a better system that will get everybody covered and help the United States of America. Let's do it. Because if America's happy and healthy, the rest of the world kind of follows suit. Uh, that's my quick 30-ish minute spiel on healthcare. Uh, I could probably go for hours on this, but I don't want to uh, alienate all of you. So I'm going to try and keep these to about half an hour if I can. Um, I will post a couple of articles in, in uh, the description, such as the article on uh, Hawaii prescribing homes to the homeless. And, um, oh, uh, like and subscribe. I always forget that part. Like and subscribe. Spread the link everywhere. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, tell your friends or other uh, podcast services. And I'm giving you a little hint now. There's going to be a treasure hunt. You heard that right. I am emptying out my safe deposit box of all my gemstones. Or I should say I've emptied it out. And it is hidden somewhere in the United States. The Western United States. And in June, I am going to release some clues as to where that treasure is hidden. And the first person to find it gets it. I'm doing a Fens treasure type thing. All the clues will be released every week in my podcast as we go on. And uh, uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you'll just happen to get the podcast 24 hours before everyone else. 
And so, you know, maybe you want to subscribe to the Patreon and uh, help Houston, we have a problem, uh, appeal to a wider audience and uh, get some proper tech because field season's coming soon. So I'm going to be bringing you shows from out in the wild this summer and ghost towns and talking about uh, gold mining and gemstones and weird economies you haven't really thought about and histories. Uh, so, yeah, thanks so much for joining me. And next week, I haven't quite decided what my show is going to be on, but uh, yeah, maybe it'll be a surprise. All right. I'll see you all then.